0: Welcome to the show, everyone. We have a very special guest for you today. He is a third-degree black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and one of the most successful and exciting Jiu-Jitsu champions and competitors active today. Welcome to the show, the Omoplata king himself, Clark Gracie. Hello, sir.
1: Hey, how's it going? Thank you so much. Great to be here. Good yeah. time to have chat with
0: you. I want to start off, man. You're not the average person that simply picked up Jiu-Jitsu one day. Okay? I mean, your dad's <laughs> Grandmaster, Carly Gracie, an amazing coach and instructor himself. Also, your grandfather, Carlos Gracie. For that perspective, what was it like to be growing up Gracie, so to speak, and part of that legacy? Well, just so I, I kind of,
1: since I was a little kid, I always just knew that there was like something different about my family. Something that, you know, we have this history. Every family has a has some kind of history. But I always knew there was something from a very young age that was unique about my family. And then <laughs> I think when the UFC came around, and even before UFC, there were some other organizations that started doing some MMA type of events and then starting to see my family members out there fighting. That was uh, a big wake up call basically to see like who we were, what we represented and and thinking like, okay, you know, like this is what my dad used to do in Brazil and now I'm the oldest son and maybe I'm going to be the next, you know.
0: I mean, it's amazing. And did it motivate you? Did you feel the pressure of anything like that?
1: Definitely, definitely. I think the pressure is good though, because if it wasn't for that pressure, where would that fire really come from, you know? Yeah. I think a lot of people in Jiu-Jitsu have some kind of trauma, and usually they experience that at some point in their life growing up. And then in their 20s or 30s, you know, the grand majority of practitioners, they end up, because of something that they've been through, they've been motivated to do that, right? Or they end up putting their kids in it because they have that history, right? Yeah. But uh, for me, it was just something very natural, just, you know, something like doing any other sport really but knowing that you know my family had had a bigger involvement than just an average person so
0: wow yeah it's such an interesting side of things you can't say many and just martial arts in general many families to that degree involved in a martial art and spreading that throughout the world
1: right i was i was told that that we are actually the largest martial art family in any martial art not just jiu-jitsu but also any other martial arts so i mean it's uh. It's a privilege. It's an honor, you know, to be able to represent what we do. And, and I'm honored to have that history that my grandfather started back in 1920s. You know, and it's been uh, about 100 years that the family has been teaching Jutsu, Over Over 100 years since he started learning jutsu. So
0: That's amazing. And that's an Indiana Jones time. You know, everybody's going out and seeing pyramids and stuff. And Mitsuyo Maeda comes over. Very interesting, rich storytelling there. I'm still waiting for the movie biopic on it. I'm going to be honest. Uh, <laughs> so when did you specifically start Brazilian Jiu Jitsu training? My dad started
1: introducing it to us, you know, me and my siblings when we were young kids, pretty young, you know, like I think I have memories of like being four years old, five years old, learning stuff, five years old, I'm in kindergarten and you know, having certain issues with like bullies and stuff like that. My dad's showing us stuff. But really like formal training about 10 years old, because there were kids classes as evolved as they are now I and mean, oh, I didn't okay. experience kids classes at that time in the mid nineties. So it was something that my dad just kind of threw me in with people that he trusted, adults or, you know, the lighter weight individuals on the mat that he feel comfortable with me training with. And just kind of made my way starting at that time. My son started training at two years old with the other kids. I think a lot of people in Brazil, a lot of all of my family members in Brazil started, they say at two years old as well, you know, they try to say, about two years old when you're just like barely learning to walk or finish crawling you know you're already putting out a G, <laughs> and the pictures and that but i mean realistically how early can you really start i put my son to start training when he was two bending the rules a little bit of my youngest kids group class you know <laughs>
0: yeah well i mean anybody that's like an olympian in any way any category of olympians i mean they start at a very young age there's a lot of neurological development and things like that by the age of five you know all these olympic athletes have been doing that for a while and the thing you hear the most, right, is people are like, you know, 30s, 40s and on. They're like, hey, I wish I had Brazilian jiu-jitsu and discovered that at a younger age.
1: We see that a ton. Yeah, a lot of people, you know, getting, we're going up in the ranks and just telling the younger generation, man, I wish I started when I was your age. You know, and I think I heard that a ton when I was coming up as well, when I was a teenager, you know. And if I hadn't started at your age, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> you, know, and you see these world champions, you know, in their 20s, I mean, they all must have started when they were at least teenagers, right? If not before. A lot of these guys, they have parents that are black belts, you know, that have been motivated their kids to train. The kids start doing it. And, you know, just like myself, maybe now there's there's a lot of families that do Jiu-Jitsu yeah. and have been passing it down. So similar in that way.
0: And I mean, you've done it your whole life. So how have you seen, because jujitsu has grown so much, it's evolved so much, how have you seen that from growing up to now? Jiu jitsu evolved, not just obviously in popularity, but technique and application.
1: Yeah, it's definitely evolved. And the beautiful thing is, jiu jitsu keeps evolving. And 10 years from now, it's going to be way more evolved than it is now. And it's amazing. I think everyone in the Gracie family thinks like jiu jitsu will continue to be as effective in a street fight scenario yes. that it was proven in the 90s, you know, and when we saw Hoi go out there. In the first UFCs and shocked the world, fighting guys 100 pounds heavier than him with no rounds, you know, no time limit. Yeah. Yeah. And just like, let's see what happens. It's a fight and let's see what happens. Now it's, you know, become more structured. It's a mm-hmm. weight divisions. It's uh, people are more knowledgeable. It's more evolved, of course. The sport itself has evolved
0: huge,
1: right? Just uh, the point system, the rules, the game of Jiu Jitsu, the art of Jiu Jitsu has evolved incredibly.
0: And also you making your own stake on that legacy, man. I mean, you have an amazing list of competition merits. What moments of competition stick out to you the most? Like whether it was the most craziest thing for you, overcoming of something, or just most proud? You know, one of my
1: fondest memories in competition was 2013 Pan Ams. Yes. I feel like it was a day, it was a weekend that I I uh, overcame a lot of barriers and you know, I fought the Absolute Division as well. Actually, I fought the Absolute Division, and I did a couple fights, and then I ended up losing to the guy who took second place the year before in the Worlds, Leo Nogueira. Hmm. And, you know, he's a super heavyweight, I believe, and or he was at the time. And he was beating Buchecha until the last, like, five seconds the year before at the Absolutes of the Worlds. And, and I was fighting him thinking, like, okay, well, you know, I got nothing to lose to see, you know, <laughs> it's kind of, and, you know, he was... You know, he passed my guard and I was down on points. And then at the very last, I don't know, a few seconds, like 30 seconds, I got fire of motivation to go a little harder and I found an omoplata. And I throw an omoplata and it was like my signature choke with the omoplata that no one escapes. Like I, I, no one's, a, like people don't escape this one. And it went right over his mouth, you know, the choke went right over his mouth with the omoplata and like... And I kind of did something a little rough. I pulled his nose up, and then it slipped under his throat. Ooh, and, and right I, as it, it went on the throat, they said, paro, and it came time, you know. So I thought, man, like, I had given up on myself at some point during that hmm. those 10 minutes thinking, like, I was going to lose. I doubted myself. And uh, and I ended up losing that fight, and I, I kind of blamed it on the fact that I had accepted defeat, you know, at Interesting. some point. Interesting. Yeah, it was, that, it was that Saturday. And then so... I was out of the absolute, and I think the next day on Sunday, I did all the fights uh, on the same day. Started in the morning, finished in the later afternoon, and I remember in the finals, I made it through You know, a lot of tough competitors, DJ Jackson, Otavio Souza, Marcos Sharpe, and then I was in the finals against Marcelo Lapela Mafra, Yeah. and he was doing amazing at that time. We had fought before, he had beat me once, I had beat him once. Uh, both on points and then this time I was down on points again you know in the finals and I'm like man and I think a couple of years before I was in the finals at brown belt at Pan Ams too and, and I just made it to silver and this year black belt 2013 I'm down on two points again and I just kept pushing kept pushing the entire time and remembering the day before when I kind of like doubted myself and it just felt like a movie this, this yeah. moment when I just pushed and then it was like we had a scramble I found an Plata in the scramble, and people come to me and talk to me about this fight a lot, maybe you've seen it, I don't know, but he, yeah. he pulled guard, like, kind of guaranteeing him the victory. Yeah. You know, we, yeah. we had stand up, we stood up, and then, you know, it was less than a minute left. He pulled guard, and the, every, even the commentators like, okay, yeah, uh, looks like Marcelo's going to take it. It's going to be really hard now for Clark to pass his guard. And Marcelo had swept me, like, that day, he swept me in other tournaments, <laughs> at least a couple <laughs> yeah. of times he had always swept me. So, like, I believe in he has really good sweeps. But this time, I just kept pushing, kept pushing. I was able to pass his guard. Wow. He scrambled out. And as he scrambled out of the pass, again, the commentators were like, well, looks like he couldn't secure it. Clark couldn't secure the pass. <laughs> but as he, as he scrambled out, he grabbed my leg and I threw him in a Waplada. And then I was thinking, like, okay, I got it, I got it, you know? And then I was like, oh, man, what about the time? Because I was traumatized from the day before. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I was yeah. like, man, I'm going to run out of time again. And I looked at the clock after I had the, the submission fully locked in and it was about 26 seconds left. And wow. I just kind of like enjoyed that moment, you know, yeah. I just like took my time. Because, <laughs> and I just like put it on, held it and Marcelo didn't want to tap, you know, but yeah, that felt like a movie, you know, that felt like a movie. Cause the tables turned right there in the last moment, you know, when he's you, watching like a basketball movie and like yeah. they make that last shot, yeah. those last two points in <laughs> the game, you know, it was one of those feelings. Yeah. It was amazing. It was super emotional. I remember that was the first year, I think one of the first years, or maybe the first that they were testing for steroids. You know? Oh, they were, yeah. They were, they were testing. So yeah, that was one of those days. <laughs> yeah. The first year they were doing that. So I remember that being in the room with all the other champs of Pan Ams uh, that year. So it was cool. That was a very memorable moment.
0: And Yeah, I know. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you wouldn't think like, oh, yeah, there's steroids. Like, no, no. Yeah, it's everywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Obviously, you know, inside the mind of a champion here, right? Like, what that takes, because a lot of people they see you with the gold medal and they see you on the cover, whatever. They don't see all the losses. Can you kind of go into the importance of how you react to a loss? Because everybody loses, right? Everybody loses. That's how you react to a loss and how to grow and learn from that.
1: Yeah, I see people throwing a fit. I see people, you know, making, showing really, I don't know, bad character sometimes after a loss, crying on the podium, stuff like that. I mean, this is not the end of your life. You know, if you lose. And I think I could have been just as emotional, just as made such a big deal, just as hysterical as anybody else, if not more, because of the pressure that I had growing up. You know, like I sometimes I wished that I didn't have all this expectation and I could just go in like a like a ghost into the into yeah. the bracket, go there, compete. If I lost, no one cares. It's just another another name that no one knows who it is, you know, in and out. But even before I'm a black belt, even before I was known at all for anything, you know, I'm already known. Like my first competition, it's like, Gracie? Oh, Clark Gracie? Oh, who's this Gracie kid? Right. You know, so before I even had a reputation, I was already like, there was already feeling that pressure, like, all right, let's see how he does. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see how good this guy can be, if he's as good as his parents, as his uh, generation before him. So I think that was tough. That probably hindered my performance a lot in the lower belts. I can only imagine. But I think once I hit black belt and I had, Lost a bunch. I had won a bunch. I did pretty good at Purple and Brown. Mm-hmm. But Black Belt, I, I felt like, okay, I have nothing to lose now, you know, because I'm going to go into a division with Marcelo Garcia. I'm yeah. gonna you know, I'm going to fight these guys that are winning world titles. Everybody respects super highly. And if I lose to them, it's like, you know, everybody loses to them. No big deal. You know? <laughs> so, you know, just go out there and do it without any pressure. And so that kind of helped me. with I think getting into Black Belt oh. somehow, it helped me relieve pressure, you know.
0: I love that because otherwise you can weigh it on your own mind. I mean, it's everybody's own personal journey. Nobody else is thinking that you are, right? Yeah, Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) And I'm there alone. You know, it's just me there and my team might be there cheering, watching, but I just got to like separate myself from everything else that's going on and just remember it's just me and one other person. And, you know, I feel like I a lot of times perform better in my academy in an academy training Mm. environment just because you know it's less that energy is is heavy right you walk into an academy it's it's heavy energy
0: but i've lost to people before in tournaments and then train with them in an academy settings and done much better you do see that quite a bit though they're either either or you're in the gym and they're tearing it up in competition because there's a performance quality and and it's something different but there's also guys i call these guys serial killers where they look pretty meek and okay in the classroom but they're serial killers on the mats when they go competition yeah there's the (laughs) with your coaching how do you help your students get past that competition block
1: well I just try to tell them like the same thing I felt and that I went through you know you feel that adrenaline dump you feel that Mm. your heart racing you know the days before and and I think that used to kind of like set me back but I'm glad I went through that because I learned how to deal with that and and there's so many situations in life where we might feel nervous we feel adrenaline you know even In a real life fight scenario, a street fight scenario, you know, you have that now bit of preparation for what's coming—not just the technical side, but the emotional side. I say to embrace it. You know, you're feeling that heart racing. Just like give it a big hug. Nice. Bring it on. Like try to make it. I said, I think like, okay, my heart's getting pumping up. Let's see if I can bring it up higher. You know, let's see (laughs) if I can make myself even more nervous and just like embrace that that adrenaline, embrace that moment remembering that like there's a lot of emotion a lot of mental but knowing that in the end everything's gonna be fine you know win lose it's it's an experience for me in the end i'm going to be the one that's going to remember it other people eventually will forget about all this history that i'm going through all these experiences Mm. whatever if i tap if i win if i do an amazing highlight you know. yeah um, it's it's all gonna be eventually washed away forgotten but it wow. will remain with me you know yeah. so it's really about me more than anything and when i kind of like just think about it, it's just about me and i just embrace the feelings that i'm going through i feel better i feel like you know wow it's almost like you're going out to battle right well yeah war. i imagine it's probably a similar feeling i, I don't, i'm not in the military or never been military but
0: That's an amazing viewpoint though, because Jujitsu it permeates and go out to your everyday life. It affects you in a very positive manner. It's very therapeutic for a lot of people. And that's a great mindset for people going into it because this is a personal journey. I love watching career. And speaking of which, again, I am talking to the Omoplata King. Omoplata is not, or at least up to you, at least, was not like, this is a go-to submission for people. What made you want to go in that area and develop specifically all these ins and outs of the Omoplata? I just honestly like
1: I don't know, just felt that it was easy to get, easy mm. to get to my style. It made sense to me. It just has to click right in your mind. Whatever the move is for each person, for this, like you said, a unique. It's a not a go-to move for a lot of people, mm. and not a go-to submission. Maybe if it's a go-to, it's more used as a sweep most of the time. But we got to remember, it is a submission, yeah. and I like to keep it. You know, yeah. I don't <laughs> like to let it go. And uh, I think my dad had told me one time as a teenager like there's all of these mini battles within the the entire round within the entire fight right it's if you lock on a submission on someone whatever it is and that person escapes that person just won that that exchange right mm. so you you gave your best you tried something but that person gave something better and beat you in your attack defense right so when you get to a submission when you get to a good position you know, there's a way to look at jiu-jitsu like, oh, let it flow, let it move. And I'm a high preacher of that as well, of, of transitions and flowing and, you know, feeling the energy exchange. But also when you get to a position, there's a certain point where it's like, all right, this is the end of the line and I can't lose this. You know, it's important that I'm able to show that I can finish this one. I think that stuck in my head with the plata as well. So when I got to plata, and another person's moving and spinning and I just kept enjoying the process of searching mm. for the complete submission. Right. Yeah. So there's a lot of like additional pieces of omoplata that aren't taught like uh, hooks. And yes. Chokes and attacking the other arm and and where to grip. And if the person stands up and the person rolls sideways, forward, backwards, postures, you know, there's so many different directions a person can go. And all the while I'm surfing the person while they're doing this, you know, they're moving and moving and and. My idea is like I'm just getting deeper and deeper and deeper, you know, so and I don't want to lose it as much as, you know, it's easy to just let it go and take the top position and manipulate it into like a, a stronger physical position. I would prefer just to keep it a, and, and finish it, you know, yeah. use it to finish. And <laughs> I think it's highly underused, really. It's highly underused, oh, highly yeah. understudied, understudied. And especially in like Nogi MMA, you know, I see it so much, but it's uh, people don't look for it as much. But, you know, so I think that's. That was something that actually worked in my favor because people look to me for instruction on that move. It's something unique about my style. And mm-hmm. I'm really honored to be able to dive into that. And
0: that's such an amazing thing. I'm learning from you because you know anytime I would ever go attempt an Plata forever, I'm like, I'm not even gonna go for this. It maybe like a follow-up to like a triangle or like a follow-up instead of like just go for it or set up. And you changed my perspective on that completely when I did a seminar with you. And more importantly, what that helped me and many others is. If that's happening for omoplata what about all these other th- and it just opened all these pathways up and you started feeling like true flow and openness of jiu-jitsu and that's an amazing thing i do want to show this clip real quick clark what kind of wizardry is this bro i mean yeah <laughs> man, I, I would even if i was the other guy i'd be like what the hell's going on uh <laughs> but is that part of you yeah you're exploring finding more hooks getting deeper uh, developing it
1: well Omoplata is a movement that the person can still move a lot of the time, you know, until they can't, right? So a lot of people don't don't go to the point where they can't move anymore. They, they're mm. just like a constant spin, roll. They're following it maybe or, uh, or use it and then stop when they get to a, a better position. You know, it's very commonly starting the guard, finishing inside control. That was an interesting fight because I remember starting, it was like my second fight that day. It was maybe 2017. Master Worlds, I think, something like that. The guy took me down. And as he took me down, his face, like, head-butted me and busted my lip. So I'm, like, oh. I'm in shock, right? I'm, like, <laughs> oh! I just take, like, this bad takedown. He just, like, blast double me and his head spiking my face. But as I fell, I just fell right into an plata. you know? <laughs> like, he, he took me down. He did a nice <laughs> takedown. And it was super rough, super, like, you know... um, I think he he, – how do you plan to, like, headbutt someone as you're taking them down? You know, it just – I don't know if it was intentional or not, but –
0: It was high energy for sure. Yeah, yeah.
1: and I remember – I had not heard of this guy, but I remember some of the guys that I knew. This guy came from Brazil for this event, and I didn't know him, but they were saying, oh, this is going to be a good guy. He's tough, you know, and he went hard. And then I just fell immediately into the omoplata right off the takedown, and maybe we spun a couple times or something But we ended up yeah. in that position pretty quickly. And uh, I just secured the Oma Plata. And I was actually starting to develop the Pretzel Plata, which was oh, yes. a competition the first time in uh, 2018 at the finals of uh, Nogi Worlds. I used that one. I was going for that that tournament oh. that we see here. And I was starting to, I hadn't used it yet in competition, but I was searching for that leg to pull it in. But some people don't have as much flexibility. So when I hooked his leg, started pulling it in, and I read when you, you see me reach for his, his shin to pull it deeper, if you're familiar with pretzel plata, but he didn't have the flexibility. He tapped before I could get there. Gotcha. So yeah, that, <laughs> it looks pretty crazy, right? But uh, uh, yeah, kind of a tangle. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. By the way, it helps people to know what the meanings of things are. Omoplata plata is Portuguese for shoulder blade. And what is your leg going over? Yeah. You know, I remember when I first learned, oh, I th- might have been, I think through you, I was like, oh, okay, that makes a lot more sense. now. <laughs> what would you say as far as omoplata goes, what people get wrong the most or the biggest misconception with it?
1: The spelling, people spell it <laughs> Uh No, that drives me crazy. Omoplata. <laughs> omoplata. Anyway, well, I think people also think technically that People get this misunderstanding that they have to stay overly tight on the arm, which is true. you do have to stay tight on the arm, especially certain moments, uh, reading your opponent, anticipating their movement. But a lot of people fail, I think from over tightness, fail to move their hips anymore. You know, mm-hmm. so. Just pass your hips. Yes. Yeah, I mean, makes it, sense. It almost, I, I keep telling people, look, your butt is not glued to the mat. You can yeah. move, you know, <laughs> move with it. Their partner's moving, move with it too. You can kind of feel where your partner wants to go. It's a lot of hip movement still. Mm. So you need to have your, your hips uh, moving forward, moving backwards, maybe sideways. Most people teach it to move, pull the person sideways. I generally will uh, teach yeah. moving either forward or backwards. Sideways is kind of like the last thing I'll do. Where your grip being. Yeah, it's, there's so many details. There's so many pieces of yeah. uh, how you get up, what muscles are you really using? What muscles are you fighting of your partner when they're posturing, you know, when they're giving you resistance. What muscles are you using to combat their resistance? So there's so many pieces of it that make it a weaker position if you don't know how to apply it correctly. I did a BJJ Fanatics yes. uh, to explain that, break that down, to really get it into detail on that with the omoplata. I did another one on the Kimura, which is another position I have, yes. you know, both shoulder related. It's This is a lot to break down. There's a lot to break down, and, and it was really fun to be able to, to put that into an instructional
0: and, yeah, and by the way, guys, I have those and highly, highly recommend that. All the little nuances and details of it, there's so much more that goes into it. And, you know, there's a lot of martial artists as well that are masters at the whole craft or art. But a master of masters in a given area, in this case, uh, you got our Clark Plata, Pretzel Plata. <laughs> this is the guy to talk to, guys. Oh, and Mackenzie Dern. She had did her MMA match. And got that set up there. It was Oma Plata with that deep naked choke. I'm like, man, her shoulder had to be out of the socket on that yeah. one, man.
1: Yeah. We didn't really train together, but we had a sponsor in common. So we've met each other a few times through that. But yeah, I was really happy to see her use that choke combination. But you know, it's I've gone for that a few times. Mm. And usually the person taps way earlier because you can't really get them that close because their arm will just like come out of the socket you know like you know they'll tap way before but considering you know generally females a little more flexible right and i think girls just don't like to tap to other girls They're <laughs> you know? tough man plus <laughs> it's mma right so i think that was in the ufc so yeah it was really cool to see her use that uh that's it's been a while now since, since i've seen that picture but um but yeah that was a beautiful finish you know because she had a moplata which you know she has very high level jiu-jitsu so I'm not surprised, but to throw on that choke, it just really helps, really secure the, oh. the finish. So,
0: Yeah, absolutely nasty. You know, for people listening too, especially with your training, what's an average week like for you for training, whether it's training, rest recovery, you know, that kind of concept. What's like an average week for you approach?
1: Well, now I'm just enjoying the jiu-jitsu. You know, I'm I'm not training for anything specifically at the moment. So I'm teaching and I'm training at every class pretty much and just enjoying the process, you know, doing a few physical sessions per week as well. When I was really competing, I was doing maybe Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, uh, not necessarily weights, but something that's functional fitness, you know, so Hmm. Bulgarian bag and and or body weight or pull-ups and this kind of body weight movements, sometimes weights as well, but more of the fan of like something that's like directly involved with you so you know like not so not so static but more in motion dynamic movement and then i was training like twice a day when i won that 2013 i was probably training more than i had ever i was doing that physical training every morning like at least a couple months before the tournament and I remember i trained from eight to nine in the morning and then that was you know my first session and then i would train again from like nine to ten thirty ten thirty or eleven jiu-jitsu so it was a nice long morning of just jiu-jitsu and i'd finished just completely wiped out which i don't know if it's necessarily the best thing to just completely wipe yourself out like yeah and be completely depleted after every training session looking back but you know that time it worked out well for me and, and i feel like i have a history of just going until i couldn't go anymore you know and just really pushing myself so i still enjoying the challenges and, and training and then I would teach it again in the evenings back then. So I was putting a lot of hours wow. on the mat, you know, treating it like not just a hobby, but uh, like a job, like I was going to school for it. The real test, test day is competition day, right? Yes. That's like midterms, right? It's like finals It's like, you know, it's like performance now. Do you really, can you pass? You know, it was great. It was a great time, you know, mentally it was huge to like overcome all these like weaknesses in your mind that you want to give up and stop. Wow. But by just pushing through, you know, it builds a lot of resilience and character.
0: That's absolutely amazing and so motivational. Everybody else listening to this, I mean, if you don't feel like you just want to run out to the gym and, and train right now, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I mean, it's a very strong mindset approach to it. And another thing that kind of blows my mind too, Clark, is people that do come in and train, not just jiu-jitsu, but whether it's fitness or whatnot, and they don't do anything for recovery or stretching or, you know, so training that much. What do you do for recovery? Like ice bath, sauna, massage, things like that.
1: Yeah, I kind of dabbled with it all. I was lucky to have like good acupuncturists, chiropractors, massage. If if I felt I needed it, if I sprained something, but I always would stretch. I still always stretch before training. Very rarely do I not do my regular routine of of a quick stretch. It takes a, it takes me like less than ten minutes. Mm. And before I, I start sparring, especially, I feel like that's helped me so much through my career, just to stay healthy, stay in one piece, because any days that I didn't stretch, if I ever got hurt, those were the days that I would get oh. hurt, you know, the days I didn't stretch and I got a little lazy about it or something. But so I think it's super important to have like a good stretch routine, you know, in your mind, your mind will play tricks and you think like, OK, I'm ready. I, I got, you know the right mindset, I can go out there and spar, I'm ready to go. But then your hamstring feels a little tighter once you get down there, you know, and you start to feel, okay, my shoulder's not, you know, as open as it should be. Or I got a tweaked neck now because I didn't open up my range of motion before I went out there. So I think it's really important to to do that. I've never had any surgeries. I've never had, like, uh, any broken bones through jiu-jitsu. And I think it's highly to do with the fact that I'm preparing myself physically before I go out there. And then also, I think just because I've been training for a long time, and I kind of, wow since I was a kid, you know, just be aware of all these dangerous positions. So I think it's important. you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. A lifetime of jiu and having such a – I was going to ask you, like, what's the worst injury you ever had and how would you overcome it? But if you put the homework in, right, you know, don't be lazy about your stretches and warm-ups and recovery. I mean, that goes a long way, especially, you know, youth, right? You know, I'm like 42 now. I think you're like – about 38 or something like that yeah once you hit like your mid-30s it's a little different vibe physically and i remember you hear all the older jujitsu guys coming up like i'm telling you you should stretch more so you know that's a pretty good tip for the youth
1: yeah i think it's important when you're young you feel like you know you're kind of rubbery (laughs) worry about you get warmed up real quick you're still nice and loose. But even then, I mean, it'll, it'll still happen. You gotta just take care of yourself, you know, get your muscles a little stretched out, opened up. You know, I'm not a doctor or a physical specialist, but I feel like I still know the body. I think anyone who does jiu-jitsu will learn about the body, how the body moves, oh, yeah. how the joints move, where you start to get tight, where you don't. And you gotta, you gotta also take care of your training partner. So you, you don't have to be, just be aware of your body, but your partner's body, because one, you're trying to put them in a position where they can't move anymore. <laughs> They're being submitted because they're stuck. So you understand how the body moves, but also you don't want to hurt your training partner. And a lot of these injuries happen by accident, right? Yeah. I I mean, I think the high majority of them are accidents. So let's just say they're basically like unintentional submissions, right? There you go. Like your knee was in a bad position. You tried to come up, your other person went the other way, and now your knee's blown out probably with your knee. So, you know, the person has to stop. Um, there's an unintentional submission, you know, so being aware of your partner's position, being aware of your position, taking care of yourself, taking care of your partner's position. If we hurt a bunch of people, we're not going to have anybody to train with left, right? We have to think about that, like, as a community.
0: That was an interesting point from earlier, too, when you were training for competition, like, hardcore, and, and you're, you know, spent at the end of it. you would be like lifting weights. Max, you wouldn't max lift the same muscle group day after day after. So can you kind of tell people who are training a smarter way to go about sparring and things like that so they can train all day every day and make a lifetime out of this?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're training for competition, you have to be able to ramp it up. You know, yeah. like you gotta know when to hit that switch. You gotta maybe know how to conserve energy and find resting positions and then when to just turn it on full blast, you know, and really go out. But hopefully those are small blasts of energy where you are just going full speed to maybe finish a guard Mm -hmm. pass or to lock in a submission, find a submission. You do have to learn to to gauge that. And I think in the beginning, people don't necessarily always uh, know how to gauge that they go 100%
0: the
1: whole time and they're burnt out real quick. But your body will condition to it, your mind will get smarter to know when to to let all that go out. But I think for longevity of training, you also have to Mm -hmm. think about always keeping yourself safe right so sometimes that explosivity is to get out of a bad position or to keep yourself safe save your joint like a certain joint that's going to be in a bad spot You being aware of oh this is not going to turn out well this is going to be bad or maybe you've been injured before so you you've seen that certain scrambles can be dangerous so you start to be a little more aware of that i could say like don't train super hard the whole time yeah you can train like kind of uh more flow but Mm. uh It's funny to say that because I feel like whenever I'm, if I've ever like gotten hurt by accident get taken like a a knee to the chin or something like that, it's always been like when I'm like, okay, I'm going to let this person just kind of like move the way they want and I'm going to be more reactive than proactive, you know, instead of looking for the fight to happen for me, I'm receiving and I'm, I'm being reactive to their movement, you know, which is an important way to train because you. A lot of juice is reactive, but it yeah. seems like I end up getting hurt on those <laughs> scenarios more than the more intense ones, right? When I'm literally being on the offense, you know.
0: Interesting. And there's a lot of subject of whatever belt level people are of plateauing, whatever it is, they hit a wall. What are some things that you have done to either prevent or overcome the subject of plateauing at any belt level?
1: I think for me, and I recommend this to other people too, is if you feel like you're plateauing, actually I was just talking with one of my brown belts the other day about this kind of feeling like they're at that point. Okay, so you're good at certain things. You're not as good at other things. Challenge yourself to still, just like when you started, get out of your comfort zone. Look to do movements that aren't necessarily something that you find easily, you know, so whatever it is, maybe you don't find yourself finishing from the mount very much, or you're more of a guard player change it up, you know, flip everything upside down, try to play more bottom, try to play more top, try to finish on the back if you're not a back finisher, Mm. try to look for a submission that you don't always finish. So you challenge yourself to get out of your comfort zone. Maybe you just do arm bars, start looking for more chokes, look for leg attacks, if that's something that's gonna help evolve your game, because people kind of get stuck doing the same thing. You know, sometimes I feel like I can just, you could just go for homoplata, it's like my easy, easy go-to. But if I tell myself, okay, I'm gonna just, Go for full locks today or if i'm going to try to get on the back and finish everybody in the back then i'm stepping out of my normal area of comfort uh, of submissions you know so try to challenge yourself
0: yeah that's such an amazing quality preventing that plateauing altogether because there's so much to do and or even with your omoplatas, you don't just do omoplata right you're finding those hooks press platas and things like that
1: a lot of details go into it for sure and me as a black belt and i think a lot of other black belts appreciate a lot of times learning from other people and, and picking up those tiny details. I'm really just appreciating the nuances, those little grips, those little tiny adjustments that go unseen, you know, and just picking those up from people that have specialized in certain
0: areas. Amazing. And last question is what are your future goals? What do you got in store? What are you aiming to do?
1: Yeah, Really? I'm a, uh... I feel like I'm where I want to be as far as, like, as a teacher. I'm loving the teaching environment, the academy, the energy that I've created, that my team has created, and I'm really enjoying it. But I don't want to get too comfortable, so I want to always keep challenging myself. So i like to try to jump into a tournament, at least one tournament a year, just to keep that challenge going. I like to now teach a lot, maybe more than before. I'm teaching online as well. One of my new things I'm focusing on is building an online library. So I'm making a website called Clark Gracie Connected. And there I'm filming my classes, putting pretty much like a technique a day online and just a way for me to share with my affiliates, but also anyone else who wants to tune in and follow along with what we're doing. And reach out to the world, you know, and share what we're doing here at home base here in San Diego. Yeah, it's been live for about a year. I've been building it for about two years. We launched it about a year ago and I'm just continuously adding to it. As I teach, I'm having someone film my classes, and it's just a continuous growing process. It's been
0: cool. Do you still travel to seminars? Yeah, I actually just
1: had a big team in Chicago join Gracie Allegiance, which is my team. Uh, It's uh, Adam Redzovic, downtown Jiu-Jitsu, in the Loop. So um, Mm -hmm. I'm gonna be out there in September, and it would be great to catch up with you there if you wanna come to the seminar, or maybe I can visit your school.
0: Oh, man. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you, meeting with you here. And Clark, thank you so much for taking time to do your show, man. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: Right on. Yeah. It's super fun to be able to share with you and look forward to doing it again.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Warrior's Edge podcast. For more great talks and interviews on all things martial arts, be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're ever in our area, you're welcome to come in and train with us at our academy, Olympus Grappling Arts. Until the next one, keep listening and keep training.